0: And welcome to episode 68 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. And uh, Shane, what are we calling this episode? Uh, You know, I usually just wait for inspiration as I'm uploading it. (laughs) Good stuff. This will be an inspirational episode. I'm going to talk about the AZ-5 mount by Skywatcher, which I purchased for a relative. It's a gift. And Shane, I think you're going to talk about a a micro-telescope. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, my my,
1: is it really a telescope or is it just a finder? You know, I I don't know what to say, but yes, I had some time with the little Borg, so I'll I'll share some of those details because I haven't told you about it yet.
0: Good stuff. So I'm Chris, and you've already heard Shane. We are amateur astronomers. That means. Uh, we're people just like you who like to do astronomy. Basically, we like to go out and look up at the sky, look at stars, planets, nebulas, galaxies, clusters, all that good stuff. And this podcast is how we share all the fun with you. So, Shane, without further ado, how was your week? Not bad. Not bad. Did you get your all. survey done? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, you know. So as as usual, you send out a like a very kind of high level notes of what we will talk about. But you know, we're largely unscripted and we just sort of fly. Off the, off the cuff for most of this discussion. So when I was reading these notes, <clears throat> excuse me, about the survey, I'm like, what is he talking about? <laughs> so, so then it dawned on me. So in case you haven't guessed, the answer is no, I forgot about it.
0: <laughs> you have to, yeah, you have to, you should do that survey. Um, did you do it? I did. I did the well, okay. survey, which, uh, yeah, so th- this is a, a study uh, collaboration effort between the University of Illinois and University of Birmingham, Uh, down in Alabama, I think. And uh, I sort of felt like, I guess a little bit, I don't know. So I work in in research and uh, using a lot of the same research methodologies that they're using. So I kind of felt like, oh, I better do it because we always have so much trouble getting our participants to do surveys. And I clicked on it. I'm like, oh yeah, they're using like the same kind of like the Qualtrics software and all this kind of stuff that that we use. And we're always like trying to get people to, to do surveys for us. It's like the like, like, sort of half of my life seems to be kind of getting people to do surveys and then analyzing the uh, the number of people who have done surveys or not done surveys and what we could do to get people to do more surveys. <laughs> so I always feel like shucks, you know, someone's asking me to do a survey from another institution. Uh, better do it. But this, what, what was what? What's the study that they're doing, Shane? Maybe you can explain a little bit better. You were chatting with them, I think.
1: Yeah. So uh, an individual reached out to us over Twitter, and uh, they are doing a study about public engagement through technology and science podcasts. Um, so I don't know what any of the questions look like, but it's just to gain some insight from our perspective on that topic. So I will do that when we're done recording today, just to
0: make sure I complete it. Yeah. Good stuff. I, I, it, it was interesting. I did, I did like leave some sort of um, you know, that there's a box to kind of give your comments or whatever. And kind of like the way that we do this podcast, it, it is different because unlike with, with many podcasts and, you know, not really to pick on any, anybody's particular podcast, you know, there's amazing, lots of great uh, science and astronomy podcasts out there. Um, but for example, you know, if you and I were to explain something like a black hole which we're unlikely to do neither of being astrophysicists or having any sort of uh you know ability to actually look at a black hole we might like reference one or or talk about it in very uh brief context in relation to actually uh, maybe looking at a galaxy or the center of our galaxy or something like that um so but but for other folks Um, they're going to have to do some research and do some digging in that. And, and that, that survey was kind of lined up with maybe people who are, um, you know, like us, non-professionals who are trying to engage the public on uh, some of that sort of hardcore real astrophysical sciences, which, you know, honestly, my hats off to people who do that. uh, That is a, is a tough row uh, to plant seeds in. Um, But for us, we don't really do that. (laughs) You know, we're not going to do that. We're doing sort of more like grassroots, like, hey, if you like to go out and look at the stars and you're wondering what star that is. I mean, it's not like in a way, like there, there's a science connection and it is really cool to be able to go out and ID that star and maybe see that it's Betelgeuse and see that it's red and know that, you know, last year it was dimming down and there was this big dust cloud around it and all this stuff, but we're really looking at it more from a, like a practical standpoint you know and and maybe um sort of like that hands-on approach and what the science can mean for you but um we're not really getting into the the astrophysics of it or anything like that are we
1: No no ours is a very practical approach to what you can do in your backyard essentially Yeah Yeah,
0: yeah. and kind of as I as I alluded to I sort of work in scientific research so um I kind of get enough of that at work <laughs> you know like uh you know I'm I'm someone who who applies the scientific method and, and uh, you know, and and ethical methodologies every day and all that kind of good stuff. So uh, this in many ways is, is a break from that, (laughs) but uh, you know, it it is of course, astronomy is a science and uh, you know, ultimately though what we're doing is just kind of, we're really having, having fun with science really is, this is sort of our focus, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that has always been kind of on my agenda, whenever we do public outreach, or or now the podcast, is, um, you know, I think that sometimes there's a stigma, or maybe like a a preconception of astronomy as a hobby, that you need some sort of astronomy degree, or some sort of formal education in order Mm -hmm. to do astronomy and operate a telescope. And, you know, if you knew me in real life, you would know there's nothing further from the truth, because I (laughs) I'm just, I'm just a dude that likes to look at things. And, uh, yeah. you know, I think that's the point, right. Is, is it, you know, we, we just talk about doing it because it really isn't that hard and it's really accessible to everybody. Um, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be expensive either. It's, it's, uh, it's a great hobby.
0: Yeah, no. And it, and it is enjoyable. I, you know, and I, I completely, uh, concur, you know, it's, it's always kind of funny when I go to teach my astronomy classes and although, like like I, I do have some degrees and advanced degrees and I, I work in science, um, as a full-time job, it has nothing to do with astronomy. And so when I started and I, and I've even taken a course in teaching, um, adults and in particular teaching adults science in relation to astronomy, but I've never actually taken a course in astronomy. Um, and I kind of like it that way, <laughs> so um, I think people are like whoa like I thought we were gonna get like an astrophysicist here and I'm like no 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 I'm just you know I'm basically just like you know any any of you walking into the room uh, with with the small exception that uh, you know I've been reading star charts and and finding stuff in the nighttime sky since uh, you know basically I, I was old enough to understand uh, star charts and and read star charts and and read sort of more more of the advanced uh, uh, books on on looking at the sky so you know <laughs> That's kind of kind of my only expertise in this. So we also had, uh, you mentioned something about Feedspot and, and the submission you made there. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, so uh, there's a website. Uh, it's blog.feedspot.com. And uh, I think what they do is like um, create top 15 lists of various podcasts. Um, so they have a, a top 15 astronomy podcast list. Um, and they evaluated our podcast and added us to the list. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, so just a little shout out to them and, cool. and for any of our listeners that are, you know, maybe looking for some other astronomy podcasts to listen to check out this list. Um, you know, uh, the astronomy or 365 days of astronomy is on there, which we, uh, uh well, I think you'll talk about that here shortly. Yeah. Yep. Um, anyway, it's a, it's a great, resource if you just want to discover some new podcasts uh, to listen to, whether it's astronomy or there's maybe another topic you're interested in, check out blog.feedspot.com.
0: Cool. Yeah. And uh, we just finished our first uh, sort of full month on 365 days of astronomy, which is a daily podcast. They're like an, they're like not a, they're like really like the aggregator for um, different podcasts, like a really good variety um, from astrophysics to, Uh, Now with us more more of the practical actually looking uh, at the stars. Um, But, uh, you know, and I really think that if that if people are hearing this and they think, oh, well, you know, I kind of like to know what's going on in the nighttime sky. But, you know, a lot of people are really interested more in the astrophysics. I know that that's a pretty good representative sample of of people who kind of my astronomy class. Um, I really like us being on there because you could subscribe to 365 days of astronomy and then you're going to get our main, uh, you know, sort of what's up in the nighttime sky every month, but then you're also going to get all that astrophysical exposure that, uh, that we're just not going to do on this program. Cause, cause we're not, we're not astrophysicists and, uh, make no bones, uh, about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to say the yeah, least. For
1: sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think they release a, a podcast every day. So every day. Yeah. Of, pretty much. A lot of variety there.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of variety. And there is some sort of uh, anecdotal stories on there I heard one recently about uh, an individual who, you know, was kind of getting up and looking at one of the planets with his daughter and stuff like that. That's really cool. And uh, but yeah, the the majority of that stuff is um, a lot of it is sort of astrophysical related. um, And it's very high quality, really good. Um, But sort of on the flip side, sort of like, you know, uh, opposite of us, they'll, they'll sun entry for a little bit about what you can see in the sky, or maybe a little bit about what you might want to look for in a telescope. Whereas uh, we really focus on looking at the nighttime sky and, you know, we'll almost always talk about what we're buying for gear and, you know, what we think people, uh, people may like. And without further ado on that topic of gear and telescope, Shane, you have something that's a little unique.
1: <laughs> <laughs> little is the key word there. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. The, uh, the Borg mini 50. Um, so it's a 50 millimeter achromatic refractor focal length of 250 millimeters. So it's quite fast. It's an F5. Basically
0: uh, this talked... is a, this is like a finder scope, isn't it? But with the exception that you can kind of stick anything you want on the end with the right adapters.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, <laughs> we've talked a little bit about it. So maybe a quick recap is, um, they're very modular, these Borg telescopes. So you can buy all sorts of adapters, and do different things with it. So for example, you could make this into a camera lens if you wanted, quite easily. Um, you could also adapt it for inch and a quarter eyepieces. You can adapt it for two inch eyepieces. It, it, it's really quite flexible. And I've always been intrigued by this little Borg just because, you know, I think at 50 millimeters, uh, I know they, they've made like Borg made a 36 millimeter refractor called a, the pencil Borg or something like that. Wow. Um, So you can get smaller ones. But in terms of, um, you know, I think practicality for seeing some things in the night sky, 50 millimeters might be about as small as you want to go. Um, But like this, literally, if I was flying, I could, if I had a, you know, say a a hoodie on, I could put this telescope in the front pouch or, you know, front pocket of the
0: hoodie. I, I don't recommend doing that going through security.
1: Yeah, probably not. <laughs> but anyway, just to give everybody an idea of how small
0: this, <laughs> and thing don't, is. don't don't like show but Oh, I'll just pull this out. Yeah, you could be. Yeah, you could have some trouble there. Yeah, put it in your carry on.
1: Yeah, but anyway, um, I was able to take uh, take it out for a spin this week, and oh, cool. um, I was pretty well. Some interesting discoveries. So um, I spent about thirty minutes with it outside. And uh, it was uh, minus 15 Celsius out. Um, There was very little wind. So, you know, know, I guess relatively it was comfortable outside. (laughs) Um, But what was interesting is I took it from indoors. So plus 21 to negative 15. So, you know, a 36 degree temperature swing. And uh, I maybe gave it five minutes to cool down. And it was okay. Like it didn't really need any more than that, which, you know, again, that's one of the advantages of a small telescope like this is the the cool down time is almost, you know, irrelevant or, or non-existent. Mm -hmm. In fact, you know, I, I think the diagonal probably needed a little more time to cool than uh, the telescope. (laughs) Um, But uh, so,
0: you know, the, the ridiculous part of it, there's a couple of ridiculous things about this telescope. That's that you can put a two inch eyepiece on it and, 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 and a two inch eyepiece by the very nature of it is about 50 millimeters. Yeah. So, so this telescope is a 50 millimeter eye or 50 millimeter telescopes. So you're putting a, an eyepiece that's as big around as the objective is. It's yeah, just, yeah. It's, which it's end do I look of, through, right? You know?
1: <laughs> it's kind of bizarre. Um, so I don't have all of the pieces yet to, uh, to do two inch observing with it. Oh, okay. uh, those are, those are in the mail. So, you know, more testing to come on that front. Um, so I was a hundred percent inch and a quarter. Uh, so I started with the widest field, um, view that you can get with eyepieces that you can buy brand new and that's a 24 millimeter panoptic. Um, so that gave me about five and a half degree field of view. Okay. Um, which, you know, not too bad. Um, uh, it was sharp to the edge, which was a little surprising. Like I was expecting, you know, field curvature could be not so good mm-hmm. at, uh, you know, such a small piece of glass and, you know, really kind of putting it through, you know, a, a pretty good stress test with, uh, mm-hmm. with the 24 pan optic. Yeah. Um, but no, it was, it was good. Um, now I've used seven by 50, um, seven by 50 millimeter finders on like dobsonians and other telescopes that i've had in the past the the, the view through this Borg was really outstanding compared to mm-hmm. any other finder i've used now you know I'll, I'll fully admit that the finders i used in the past were kind of the generic you know Antares or or mead finders um so uh you can definitely get better finders and i'm sure you know they provide a better view but you know the the old finders that i've had in the past you know, maybe the the middle 30% was sharp and then it just got worse as you went to the edge.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so while they helped, you know, provide a wider field of view than say my 12 inch light bridge many years ago, it wasn't a great view to help you find things. Now this Borg, you know, like I say, sharp to the edge, it was really, really nice. Um, so what I thought I would do is start just increasing the power and um, again, you know, try, uh, Put put the optics through the test and just see what what was possible with this little thing. Um, so what I had was um, I have a couple of those um,
0: Mesuyama uh,
1: clones. So I have a 15 millimeter and these are like
0: plossel eye pieces, basically high end. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So um, one was a 15 millimeter Antares Elite plossel. Uh, they're no oh, longer wow. made. Um,
0: but they I had were... a seven millimeter once. I sold it. Oh, stupid! Do you regret stupid. that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, that's why I never
0: sell nice. anything anymore. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You just regret it later. Yeah. Um, so anyway, this is a really nice eyepiece. I quite like it. Um, yeah, they are nice. Yeah. So I got Mars in the field of view and um, <laughs> you know, because this is already a finder scope, you don't really need like a red dot or anything on this thing. You you can locate whatever you want pretty easily. Yeah. Um, So uh, I got Mars in there and with the 15 millimeter, um, I was able to see Mars as an, you know, an orange disc. It definitely was no longer stellar at that point. Um, so, you know, again, things were pretty sharp, although, um, I was finding a little bit of drop off towards the edge in the 15 millimeter, you know, the stars weren't quite, you know, pinpoints anymore, probably for, I would say about the outer 15%. Yeah. Okay. Um, So with the 15 millimeter eyepiece, that was giving me about 17 times magnification. Um, So next step was a 10 millimeter Takahashi LE, which again is a Mesuyama clone. Um, And that gave me about 25 times magnification. And it wasn't that good. Oh, really? Yeah. The LE, Mm -hmm. like, man, towards the edges, it really. I would say probably the outer 40% was was mm. not very nice. So I didn't spend much time with that eyepiece at yeah. all. Mm.
0: Um,
1: so now you're going to laugh at me a little bit here, Chris. I, I went all out from this point forward. And uh, <laughs> there, there was only
0: one more stop with the eyepieces.
1: And that was using my uh, 2.4 millimeter Vixen HR. <laughs>
0: um, so That gives you just like over 100 power, 102 power or something, mm-hmm. isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. Which... <laughs> You know the kind of the rule of thumb is 50 times magnification per inch of aperture, and a 50 yeah. millimeter is what an inch and three quarters or something like that. Yeah. So like two inches, or sorry, a hundred times is definitely exceeding what most people would recommend as your high end limit. Um, but whatever, I wanted just to over, see look like just over. Yep, yeah, just over. It's close. Um, so seeing was okay. Again, not great, um, but. Um, I was, I was able to see some surface darkness on Mars uh, a yeah. hundred times with this little 50 millimeter. It was very fleeting and it would be, it would even be hard, I think, to sketch it just because of how fleeting it was. And, yeah and again, like it just wasn't super defined and it was more just that, okay, you know, definitely an orange disc and there's a little bit of darkness in the middle, you know, is, yeah. is probably the best way I could describe it. Yeah. Um. There, there were some times during, like the, you know, when it would steady up just for like a, a millisecond, um, that there is some whitish tones near the so, uh, southern polar cap. Okay. I don't, I don't think it was possible that I was seeing this uh, the polar cap at all. Yeah. And in fact, like this whitishness that I saw, um, I think was even too big to be the cap. Now, well, this what could can happen
0: be, is, yeah, kind of you. It, yeah it does something strange in the acromats it kind of does stretch it like i've witnessed that in the 80 millimeter acromats as well so i think mm-hmm. i think like in essence you were seeing the polar cap i would say you yeah. you just weren't seeing like you just aren't uh aren't able to resolve it is what's happening right. there yep
1: right yeah so i was pretty surprised and, and impressed with that view that um, is impressive yeah yeah now some other comments is with an acromat, especially a fast acromat, you'd expect there to be a lot of false color. I didn't really detect a lot of color. Um, definitely some, but not as much as I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, although I would like to try it on the moon and, and Venus at some point as well, because those are the the two objects that if you're going to see false color in your optics, usually you know Venus or the moon was, is what will really put it on display. Mm-hmm. Um, I was using my, my prism as well, which... They, you know, what I've read online is prisms are really designed to be used with telescopes that are F7 or, or above that. Mm
0: -hmm. So when
1: you're using fast optics in a prism, you do sometimes get some other spectrochromaticism in there, you know, basically just another aberration, chromatic Mm -hmm. aberration, uh, which introduces some false color.
0: Yeah. The red Uh, and the blue on either side of an object. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I'm, I wouldn't mind acquiring an inch and a quarter mirror diagonal uh, just to see, Mm-hmm. You
0: know, how that changes the view.
1: Yeah. Um, but I had it on my Stellar View M2C mount, which yeah, I was going to uh,
0: ask what you mounted that on. That's <laughs> yeah, that was a bad choice. Um, so the, you can almost Stellar... hold this thing and
1: and look at the sky. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, um, oh, wow. the Stellar View M2C, like that, can handle a five inch refractor. Yeah. Um, so it's a mount that's made for a big telescope and putting a little telescope on there was was actually a pretty frustrating experience. Mm-hmm. Um it, you just don't get fluid movement and like you know you you go to nudge the telescope and you almost nudge the whole setup, you know, because it just that mount
0: needs more weight to operate properly. Yeah. So yeah.
1: Hmm. I I have a like You know a, what would
0: you know what would work really well with that is um uh, And you can you can board if you want. I still to make you up. I'm going to make you up a shoebox of fun um, for the uh, for for, you know we're going into more um, not lockdown they're saying, but uh, we definitely have too many cases here. So we're we're both talking over this podcast about not doing as much. But I'm going to make Shane up a package, an activity kit for uh, for for a while. It'll keep him busy, keep him entertained, at a harm's way.
1: Keep me safe. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, but if you want, I can put the uh, I have I have it sitting right here just on on my desk is the uh Universal Astronomics dwarf star. And that telescope would work beautifully on that.
1: Yeah, yeah, probably would. Um well so what I was thinking of, I have two mounts that I think would work well with it. One is the Stellar View M1 mount. It, like I use my um I use oh, that yeah, with that the Oh that, mil- yeah, that would work. That's about
0: the same as the dwarf star, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, they're very similar. Um, The other thing that I'm going to try first though, is, you know, when you like, when you're in this hobby for a long time, you sometimes buy some gear, it comes maybe with something you don't care to use and it goes in a box. Um, Well, I bought a Manfrotto tripod um, many, many years ago and it came with a, like a fluid head, you know, for, I think it's usually used for like videoing, but um, it can handle some weight.
0: Probably like the five at one head or whatever it's called.
1: I don't even know what model it is. I should have a look, but yeah, um, it,
0: uh, I think it used to have one. Really I don't know well. where it went. Yeah. I think I lost mine in a move.
1: Yeah. And it has like a nice handle, you know, so that you can kind of pan with that. Yeah. Um, so I'm yeah. going to give that a try first. Uh, okay. See how that works. Yeah. I have one um, of those,
0: another one here. I have two, but I, I lost the big one. I don't know. Okay. Where
1: yeah. Okay. But it was really fun. Like that little telescope is just fun to use. Um, I, I do have a, like one of the Borg, uh, focusers. So it's a helical focuser that you, again, this is all modular. So you, you take off the lens cell, yeah. you put the focuser right behind it, and then it just screws back into the, the telescope tube. And then I think it has a, a couple centimeters or, or, I don't know, maybe three centimeters of travel. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just rotate that and, um, that helps you with the fine focus. It has a draw tube for coarse focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on my, on my Bader Prism, it has a helical focus um, at the eyepiece, but in cold weather, it really locks up and it, it doesn't operate very well. Hmm. But anyway, um, again, lots of fun. Um, certainly, one of the takeaways was this telescope is hard on optics, being it's an f5. Um, so I'm still questioning, you know, the, the the brilliance, if you want to call it that, behind. Uh, actually, building a binoscope uh, with mm-hmm. two of these things because, you know, I think I would need to buy two mirror diagonals. Mm-hmm. Um, probably another panoptic if that's what I want for wide field. Yeah, you're getting there. Yeah. Yeah, and then if I want any, um, you know, additional magnification, um, <clears throat> it's probably either using orthoscopics or, you know, going out and buying some wide field eyepieces that are really good to f5, which, you know you're paying, you're paying for that. You know, that, that type of performance isn't cheap. It's probably three to $400 per eyepiece, maybe less, I don't know, but um, I'm not so sure this is the right, <laughs> the right project. It, it would be fun if I had an unlimited bank account, but uh, unfortunately I don't. So, so anyway, cool. I'm, I may proceed uh, with the binoscope, but I'm I with not. caution. Yes. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so how about your mount you you got some new gear not for yourself but I, I think for a nephew
0: yeah yeah so um yeah and i just put a note in here because and and i i kind of missed this so we're on the uh, com forum um and uh i i go through phases where sometimes i'm in there reading every day sometimes i'm in there posting once in a while. i don't post that much in there but i really enjoy reading a lot of what other people have to say and we did an episode recently where we talked about um and and I recommended the short tube telescope, the 80 millimeter F5, in a in a variety of different formats. Now, one of the challenges with that, you get to kind of figure out rings and finder and diagonal and blah, blah, blah. And uh, I think Skywatcher makes uh, an excellent version might be easier to get here in Canada, and some other locations. But I also see now that um, sort of the the namesake, the ST80 is back at Orion telescope and binocular as of I think uh, you know the first week of this month, so it's it's still very new, and uh, and then I sent this to you, uh, Ed Ting, um, who's uh, an amazing amateur astronomy telescope reviewer. Um, actually, around the same time this this past month anyway, has released a a video on the ST80, uh, two videos on it, um, three if you count one as as his recommended uh, beginner telescope for for maybe uh, smaller and younger people. And then, uh, and then again, he released uh, an, a couple sets of videos on, on how to actually mount it and everything. Um, and that would be a great, the st 80 is, is a great telescope for people to start with. And Orion sells um, what's called the Versigo mount, uh, formerly known as the az 4 um, which would be a great combination. This goes for around $500 or less American together. I priced it up. And uh, so if you're buying it in Canada, you're going to be looking at about 650. But what I did recently is uh, I put together a beginner telescope package. And Shane, I think you tweeted it uh, my AZ5 box. Um, yeah. mount. <laughs> um, so this is a, uh, a mount. This is what goes on top of the tripod that you stick the telescope to. And as um, referred to in, in episode 67, We have uh, sort of three main components of a telescope kit, like for a refractor anyway. You've got your tripod, you've got your mount, uh, then you get your telescope, and then I suppose the accessories. So um, I already owned a good tripod from Skywatcher. Uh, It's a lightweight tripod, but it's a little shorter. I thought I would get it um, as part of another package with the 80 millimeter F5. So I got those two things plus this mount. I really love the mount. Um, I already own an 80 millimeter F five, but I love them. So I thought I'd get another one and then figure out what to do with it. I was going to give it to Shane, but, uh, I've rescinded that offer and, and I'm going to give it to my nephew instead. And, uh, <laughs> anyway, Shane has enough telescopes. He's going to be okay. Yeah, I, I'm and, right. <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, I was just trying to figure out, okay, like, what am I going to get him? And, uh, I thought, uh, maybe I'll just buy a package and have it shipped there. But I really kind of wanted to make sure it would work well so that he would be able to have uh, really good early success. If he sees the moon, I want him to be able to point the telescope and see the moon. And I just found that I didn't quite have the faith in a lot of the starter scopes that are out there. And then I'm, I'm looking around I'm like, man, these these 80 millimeter F5s, which I have two of, by the way, and maybe another third one coming eventually. Um, why not just, just send him this one? And then just get a get a really good mount so what i decided to do is take the budget that i had set aside for the telescope itself and buy a mount because and shane you're, you'll be just as familiar with this as many of our listeners often these early entry-level uh instruments are very good optically sometimes excellent optically um the challenge is that the mounts are very shaky and these shaky mounts present a variety of challenges difficult to point Difficult to use, Um, and and that that really creates a a challenge and a barrier to the person having early success. And then people think there's something wrong with them. I mean, so many times I get people that come to my class saying, "There's something wrong with me. I I don't know what I'm doing." I'm like, "Actually, there's nothing wrong with you. You're a perfectly, uh, you know, healthy, normally, incapable person." (laughs) It's the uh, unfortunately the mount with the telescope. Oh well, the telescope isn't good. No, no, actually, the telescope is good you've just got this challenge here. So uh, I looked around, I actually looked at the Stellarview MV1 and I thought maybe I would get that. But the reason why I didn't get that mount is it would really need a pillar to work on this tripod. And there's nothing wrong with getting a pillar support, but it, it introduces more parts and more futzing around. I want this to be as simple as possible for them. So um, what I did is, is I bought a Skywatcher AZ-5. You can get these in Canada and the States, but they all come with a really big stainless steel tripod, which I actually own already. I kind of wish I'd been a little bit more organized this year. I probably could have saved 50 bucks. But anyway, um, I already own that tripod and that tripod is is big. And in my opinion, it's really too big, probably even for most people to drag around. It, it'd be good if it was just at your, at your house or whatever. But if you're going to be going to dark skies, I think... Uh, that tripod is, is heavy. And uh, I might've been reluctant to say that, but, but the more I talk to people and talking to more and more people every week now, which is great. And I I do find that um, even, even people that have no problem lifting big and heavy stuff um, realize once, once they do get it in hand, how awkward it is to actually uh, take along with them to do some astronomy. So More and more, I'm going to be recommending uh, lighter gear. So anyway, so I already had the tripod. already had the telescope, the 80-millimeter F5, um, which is a really inexpensive but well-performing telescope. Super wide field of view, makes it easy to find stuff. So I just needed this mount. I picked the AZ-5. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a a quick review of the AZ-5 or AZ-5. And it's just like the letter A, the letter Z or Z, or however you wish to... To say it, and the numeral five. It's by a company called Skywatcher. Um, like I said, you can get it in North America, but it all, almost always comes with the uh, stainless steel tripod. If you can talk to a distributor and get it without that, do that. I actually end up buying mine. Big announcement this week that there was a new trade deal between uh, Canada and the UK. So um, I think I was probably one of the first ones in on that because boy, I ordered it from First Light Optics in the UK. And it took three days to get here. I was blown away. No trouble over the border. And so I don't know if that's because of the new state of affairs or what, but ordering stuff from the United Kingdom just became a whole lot easier in Canada, it turns out. Um, So that's awesome. And to my door, it was $350 Canadian, everything in.
1: Hmm. That seems like a pretty good buy.
0: That's a pretty good buy because... This mount includes uh, a few options that I, I think are really good. So um, just sort of to back up. So this is the mount. Now, many of the mounts that most people are gonna be familiar with are what are called equatorial mounts. You put the telescope on, it's got sort of some wheels and dials and a counterweight and that sort of thing. And um, that's sort of like quote unquote a traditional telescopic mount uh there's nothing wrong with those but they are a little bit trickier to use and the motion isn't as natural so what i prefer and i don't want to speak for you Shane, but i think you prefer these what we call an alt as mount as well you pre- yeah, I think, yeah. yeah yeah so
1: I, I think that's the way to go for sure
0: and and basically they work up down left right basically you, you want to point it at them when you see the moon there you just grab the end of the telescope and you you know you just point it right at it and Bob's your uncle. You have got a ra- ra- your field of view. You got a finder scope on there. Maybe like Shane's actual telescope now, and and you, you know you're gonna you're gonna get it close enough, and and you're gonna be able to put a low power eyepiece in center it, and then, then increase the power as you see fit. Um, so basically, uh, I love these altaz mounts. I've got a whole pile of them. Um, the best one I think, anyway, as far as usability goes, is the Takahashi Lapides. And I've owned that for a long time. I bought it used. I customized it, drilled a bunch of holes in it. Um, I didn't pay that much for it. I bought it from a guy. I kind of felt a little bit bad about this. I got it. Um, it didn't quite fit on the gear I was trying to use it with. So I took it to my friend who had a machine shop and he, uh, he it out, drilled some holes and it works perfectly on that mount. And literally the day after I did that, I had it for about two weeks, the, and this is a number of years ago, the guy emailed me back and said, Oh, I really want that back. Can I just like buy it back for you and pay you another hundred bucks? And I wrote him back and said, I, I feel bad, but I drilled a bunch of holes in it. And I, he never wrote back. <laughs> I kind of thought he, I think he probably thought I was maybe making it up or anyway, tack lapides, great mount. Um, but this one actually looks really close to that and it works really close to that considering, I don't know what the Lapides goes for now, but it's at least twice that cost maybe three times that cost and this uh az5 by skywatcher is like 80 percent of that amount it's really really, really good yeah i've always so, been
1: intrigued by the az5 so yeah know, this this review of yours i'm looking forward to because you know i just i never i, I was just yeah uh, you know how does it stack up to something like the tac
0: Lapides and uh it stacks know, up. some others yeah interesting it, it stacks up so um Typically, uh, the the ALTAs have, at the very least, a set of friction controls so that um, you, you would loosen them off uh, to point the telescope wherever you want. And then kind of once you get into the general vicinity, you would tighten them down. And then that that allows you to have more fine um, sort of push tracking. Like this is all going to be manual. There's not any electronics in most of these. Um now, like for example, with my dwarf star, all it has is these two knobs, these two tension knobs. So you tension it up, you load your telescope onto it, you loosen them off a little bit, then you get your object um, pretty close to centered, and then then you start tightening them down, and, and you kind of get to the point where you can kind of you have a nice ratio of friction to to motion to to track things smoothly uh, across the sky by simply just sort of manhandling the back of the telescope. It's a little bit of a skill. But uh, I think it's actually a pretty natural skill for for most people. Um, even people have never used a telescope before. Once I sort of show them how to how to do it, once they even just use it themselves for for a couple hours, if they didn't have someone to show them, they're they're going to figure it out really quick. It's very intuitive. Um, let's see. So I had a couple concerns going in with the AZ5. Um, I thought the mount might be too heavy. This is a very light tripod. Although I do see that Skywatcher sells it with the tripod that I got with my other mount. Um, it's absolutely their most lightweight tripod. It's pretty low, which doesn't work for me, but it's going to work beautifully for my younger nephew. I think it's going to be a perfect height for him. And uh, I thought that the telescope might be too light because I see that some people even use 4-inch refractors. In fact, I see people using 4-inch refractors exactly like my 100-millimeter Takahashi on it, which is a hmm. reasonably light telescope, but the, the uh, ST80 or 80-millimeter F5s are... Only two and a half pounds. So that's an order of magnitude uh, smaller. So, anyway, um, what I'm going to do first, though, is I'm going to go over some of the cons. And I think these are all very minimal uh, cons, but I just want to raise them. And as you know, this is a review, bought this with my own money. I like the Skywatcher gear. Honestly, when it first came out, I thought it was good years ago, good entry level stuff. I now actually think the Skywatcher gear is just pretty good gear. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's sort of my overall review of SkyWatcher. Um, it's not perfect. You're not getting Takahashi quality, but it's getting it's it's good. It's really good. And I think for the most part, like most people are, they're going to get what they what they're going to want uh, out of out of the gear. Um, if you are going to be doing astronomy. Um, more than one or two hundred nights a year, or trying to then then maybe look look at more expensive stuff. But if you're just going to be a regular hobbyist who's doing this when the sky is clear in a more casual basis, when you're camping or whatever, honestly, the skywatcher stuff that that's all you need. All right. So cons had some weird spiderweb of polystyrene over the um, any kind of the screws, and I think mm-hmm. I think what it was was and I hope it's not in the gears. I don't think it's in the gears, but um, I think somehow they, they drilled those out and then they, they, they threaded whatever it was in, but they needed to like brush it off or something. Like I just took a a, a damp piece of paper towel and it, it came right off and it just, it was just plastic. I think it was originally, I didn't know where it came from, but then I kind of looked closer and it looked like it just was a result of them um, just, just, like making the threaded holes for whatever it was. So there's three or there's four threaded holes in it. And anyway, and it, but it was only on the, um, not the ones that were connected to the gears. It was just just like the slow motion controls and the, and the one for, the, uh, for holding the dovetail. That was it. Uh, let's see. The slow motion controls, they work really well. Um, and in fact, it's surprising it's slow motion controls and something in this price range don't think there's anything else. So Vixa makes what's called a porta mount, which um, I have used as well. Um, and I think it's really good. I think you can get slow motion controls on that. Um, but to get that here in Canada, it's, it's a little bit more. And uh, yeah, and I, I think you might need a custom mount for it. I can't recall, but I don't think it goes on any tripod. I like the fact that the AZ-5, you can put on any photographic tripod. I think that's a real strength to this mount. Um, so I was a little bit reluctant to go with the, with the port amount, knowing that I was going to have to get like a special tripod for it. And of course that's more cost and whatever. So anyway, and it, and it's a hundred bucks more to start anyway, I think. So, uh, let's see the, but the slow motion control for the, let's see the, uh, up, down the altitude is that's in a good spot. That one's fine. And when you engage the clutch, it, it works really good. The other one for sort of the lazy Susan, the round and round, the azimuth uh, um, that clutch is just a little loose and it's either engaged or it's not. And so, you know, th- that's a pretty fine thing, but you, you got to be aware that you got to screw that off. Then you can point your telescope. You want to track slow motion. Uh, then you can you can engage it. I actually think probably in use, you you don't even really need to have it engaged. Um, for for like a beginner, you can just disengage that one. The other one you can probably play with a little bit. Um, so with the Takahashi one, you know the one that costs about three times as much, uh, you can actually fine tune your uh, tension on those clutches to have a little bit better control over your over your slow motion controls. So, but with a beginner. I'm not sure. I, I think it might actually work better on the EZ-5 because I think people who are new to telescopes are going to be looking for something to either sort of work or not work, right? Whereas the Takahashi one, you're constantly playing with it, which I don't mind as an experienced observer, but maybe for a newcomer, they're going to find that challenging because, you know, you you can't just put the telescope on, load it, and point it at stuff like you can with the EZ-5. So this, this may be not even a con. It may be sort of a neutrally buoyant thing. Um So let's see, Uh, lack of availability. These aren't widely available. It's a real shame. I'm not sure why they're not that widely available. It's an awesome mount. Um, So you can order one in Canada or the US. I think it's a custom order and typically it comes with the big Hawkins stainless steel tripod, which I don't really recommend. Um, I mean, you can get it, but plan to get a lighter weight tripod for travel or whatever. Like if you get the heavy one, just stick it in your garage and use it around the house. Or maybe if you're going... For an observing weekend somewhere, but you're gonna set that up and then just kind of leave it. It's it's big, Um, and you can't get the 80 millimeter f5 with the az5 either. You have to go with the four inch, and I think that's weird. Yeah, yeah. So it is too bad because I think the 80 millimeter f5 worked perfectly on it. Um, It's it's a match made in heaven. The four inch is kind of big for smaller children, in my opinion. Um, You know, children will grow, and that's fine. I think for an adult probably the four inch would be okay, but you do lose the extra wide field of view that the 80 millimeter F5 gives as well. Um, the portability and uh, sort of lightweight ease of use on an 80 millimeter versus a hundred millimeter or four inch is, is pretty big. We see that with your telescope, my telescope, your 76 millimeter is way more portable, way more easy to use. Um, the list goes on and on. And actually the difference at the eyepiece, it's not huge. Like, let's mm-hmm. just be honest. And you and I bought these high-end tank same day, basically. And uh, they're almost identical, except mine's four inch. Yours is three inch. There's just, honestly, there's not much difference. There really, really isn't. So um, I don't think people are missing out by going to the 80. And it has wider field of view. So anyway, that that's sort of the negatives, which aren't really big negatives. Basically the availability, some polystyrene, and uh, and just the way the slow motion works. Um, still kind of, and I think it might be okay for better for beginners actually. So let's see. Uh, pros, it is rock solid. Absolutely solid. No shakes, super solid, easy to track at, at 85 power, which is about as high as you're going to go in an 80 millimeter F5. Um, so this meets that requirement to make sure that the beginner isn't going to suffer from a wobbly, shaky mount that's hard to point, right? And that's. That's really what I wanted to prove with this: is that this is sort of the ideal mount for these 80 millimeter fives. So I think that's true, um, and, that,
1: and that's the number one thing for me. There's nothing I yep. get frustrated more with than uh, like a mount that has some vibration in it, uh, particularly when you're trying to focus it. If it's not rock solid and and you're you know you're touching the focusing knob and yep. things are moving around, you'll no. it's very hard to get a, a tight focus. And right. uh, that's why this is so important.
0: Yeah, and and I knew this you would love it. Like you would, and I couldn't believe how solid it was because it's a. I, this is like the lightest weight tripod that Skywatcher sells. I think it only weighs two or three pounds. It weighs nothing, um, but it actually is made to go with the AZ52, um, so it slots in. It like it meshes with it perfectly. Like it's it's a beautiful job, I gotta say. And uh, and Shane, this is this is one of the things I put on here. I know that you. You enjoy the aesthetics and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. You're a little bit more into the aesthetics, how things look. And I got to say this actually, and I sent you a photo of it. It's one of the sharpest looking setups. Like when I send this to my nephew and he takes it out of the box, he's going to think this all just goes together, even though it's all three separate things that I sort of brought together for him. It looks beautiful. They did it. It, It's, it's nice colors. It's black and this uh, iridescent green, and it's just a highlight color. And, uh, it looks good. It it really does. Um, it kind of looks like what you want a beginner telescope to look like when you send it to somebody and, and the operation of it is just deadly. It's very, very good. Um, and then the other big pro, I think this is huge that most people, um, may overlook when they're buying new gear is that this great mount, you can use it on, on many different types of tripods. So for example, I'm going to send it down to him with this uh, tripod, and this tripod's going to work really well for him. It's got a little eyepiece tray, and I've got some uh, specialized, really good beginner eyepieces coming for him. But um, I can also pop that off. If I go down to visit, I can pop it off, and I have a tripod down there. That's that's a really tall photographic tripod, and I can put it on that, and and I could take my. My telescope, I could use his telescope on it. Anyway, we've got another tripod there. If he, if he decides he really likes astronomy and kind of grows um, quickly, as, as kids sometimes do, then he can just go and grab that in the basement and stick the mount on there, and he can keep running with it without any further expense. Um, that uh, mount can also, uh, you can change the arm a little bit on it to take different telescopes. And then, um, and that's pretty easy to do. There's instructions on how to do that. I see people have done it, although in general, they leave it on this like sort of 30 degree angle or whatever it is. And then let's see. Oh, you can put a variety of different telescopes. So unlike many beginner telescopes where you're kind of, you may be able to do some modifications with this setup that I'm sending him. Well, he can pop it off, put it on a heavier tripod, basically at no cost because I I have one down there anyway for him. And then um, you can also put any other telescope like, um, that, that sort of like that next level up they're going to want. So I think it would probably take, well, it will take a four inch very easily. It might even take like one of the 120 millimeter short tubes and a five inch reflector would, would go on and maybe it would take, um, a six inch reflector. So, so the, I think the, uh, the weight carrying capacity. You're probably going to want to get a pretty heavy duty tripod, uh, maybe that steel tripod. Even if if you're going to be going to something like that and have more of a permanent spot. But as far as like grab and go, AZ5 on that little um, mount that or the little tripod that I got there is is going to be awesome. But if you if you do want to get a heavier tripod, like those, I think there are a Manfrotto 475B. You want to each have one of these. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think whatever it is, is. a yeah, yeah it's something like that. Anyway, um, it's, it's a 26 pound capacity, uh, 10 pound tripod uh, that has a geared column. And I'm going to try that on that next, just to see how that goes. But I think that would be a nice uh, combination. But I think, you know, um, if an adult was getting this, yeah, you you can find it as, as a package deal, um, uh, you know, in, in UK and European retailers will sell it with the uh, four inch uh, F5 version. I think that would be, that would be decent comes with a few more parts. So I think, you know, as far as getting it for, for a smaller uh, person or a younger person, um, maybe uh, sort of putting these parts together, which are the, the base tripod, the AZ five, and then the, uh, the 80 millimeter F5 and then a handful of good eyepieces. I got a five millimeter and a 12 millimeter coming and I already bought a 32 millimeter colossal and then they're coming on Tuesday. So I plan to test those out. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to make him a, like a quick instruction video and put that up. Maybe, maybe we'll even put it on the actual astronomy uh, YouTube feed. And then I can, I can send him, a, send him the telescope down and he can put it together. But I didn't read any instructions. It just, you open it up, the mount just, it, it slots right onto the top of the tripod. So it looks like it's it, it's made to go together, even though I didn't buy it together. And then the the telescope has a, has this green uh, dovetail on it. And there's like a green part on the mount that matches it. So it just, it's intuitive the way it goes together. And then took it outside, it's pretty lightweight. You can take it all outside together, plopped it down, pointed it at the moon, no problem. <laughs> you know, even tracked using the slow motion controls pretty naturally. That's my review. I think it's a great uh, beginner mount that somebody can grow with. I think it's stable, it's intuitive. Um, I don't think it gets any any better than It has slow motion controls, comes with longer slow motion control arms. For 350, I think that's pretty hard to beat. Um, The only other one that's similar is the Orion Versigo, which I don't believe has the slow motion controls, comes with a, a decent aluminum tripod. If you're in the States, that might be a better option. Looking at it here in Canada, the shipping was going to be crazy. And it, it was going to be actually more than, than this mount. I think this mount is, is a slight improvement. It's the AZ-5. That's that the VersaGo is uh, formally called the AZ-4. So um, it's, it's just that next step up and a little bit cheaper. So that's my review, Shane. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, very interesting, and and you know, I think I would say it. It sounds like um, this is far more than just a beginner's mount. Like this mount would be something I think I would enjoy and I'd use for a long time. Yeah. Um, having a, an AZ mount that can handle some weight, uh, but also that has slow motion controls is not an easy thing to find. No. Um, and slow motion controls aren't necessarily required, but they are pretty nice to have, especially mm-hmm. if you're doing any kind of high magnification observing. Um, and, uh, you know, the Skywatcher brand, like you said, I, they make some good stuff. Um, I'm, you know, I have a 120 millimeter ED refractor by them. It's awesome. Um, I've had some other equipment by them and it's all been really good. Like it's not the highest end or, you know, the top of the line brand, but where they put the quality in their products is is in the right areas, you know, And, and then you can, if you want, you can improve some of the other things that maybe they, they skimped on, but um, you really can't go wrong with their stuff. And uh, really, you're you're becoming the Skywatcher Mount Pro.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is the second one I bought this year. I bought the AZGT I for myself, and uh, and I love it. I think it's it's really good. Again, just like you said, Shane, they, they put the money, they they you know, and and the stuff isn't super super cheap um but i'll tell you for what you get you're right like they put the money in the right spot so for example this is not a con or anything but like when you buy the takahashi like it's all everything kind of looks seamless like there's no seams or anything like that um but like on the az5 mount there's like a little divot which is like i don't know like some sort of maybe minor imperfection in the casting mold that they're but this this has no uh impact at all whatsoever on the performance Um, so none of the stuff is really a performance, uh, hindrance, um, probably at high power, you know, it could just be because the AZ-5 can handle, uh, such a heavier scope, you know, just manually tracking. It was, it was just a little rough, but you know, that's a really light telescope to put on this tripod. Definitely. You can't go any lighter. And, uh, and so all I did is I just engaged the clutch and used a slow motion control. So, uh, no problem, no complaint there. So, yeah. I think they kind of nailed this one. And, at, and at first, you know, what people are going to do as, as a beginner, you, you know, you've seen all the photos where people are standing directly behind the telescope. This one, you kind of want to stand off to the side, off to the left side a little bit. Um, Cause that will put the, put the other slow motion control a little bit closer to your hand. So that took me kind of a second to figure out, but um, yeah, I, I think they did a, they did a great job. I think it's, it's really good. Probably could be refined just, just a hair. If, And, and, you know, I guess maybe that, that is one of those things that if they just did just a little bit, I think they could have made it perfect. I think the, uh, the lazy Susan clutch could just be a smidge tighter. Um, I wouldn't send it back or anything, but if it was, if they just had tweaked that one, like the um, altitude one, if they had, they had made them the same. um, And maybe if they had allowed you to, to change the orientation of the, uh, of the base of the mount. But these are really small things. I think there, there's nothing else. There's nothing else out there in this in this price range that uh, that I think does what what these things do. So, well, that's I'm sure it. Your
1: nephew. I'm sure your nephew's going to love it. Sounds like a really yeah. good setup.
0: Yeah. So my eyepieces come Tuesday, and I haven't opened up the 32 millimeter plus yet. Plan to do that on Tuesday. Um, get them all, and then plan to take them out and give that a, a trial run, and then. Um, package it up and and uh, and get it sent down in time for for Christmas he has no idea he doesn't listen to the show Um, and I don't think any of my family (laughs) listens to the show which is good and uh, and I think it's going to be a big surprise because he's really gotten into science um, this year and like in general like most scientific things like he spent the summer catching everything from butterflies to snails and then like he gets really into like like all the mathematics of it, like in ways that I don't, you know, like, like I'm sure if he actually gets interested in the, um, in astronomy, he'll go, Hmm, I wonder how you do calculate the mass of a star. Like, like he'll do that. Right. He's, he's a pretty small child still, but uh, I think he'll, he'll actually, that, that that's where his interest is. It's sort of in the numbers of things. So uh, anyway, but, uh, and he lives in a great spot to do it. He lives under a magnitude six sky and, and, Here's the other thing is, and this is like one of the things I'm doing this for is you're kind of isolated out there when you're a kid. Um, there's not that much to do. He's the type of kid that probably isn't going to get in trouble. He's really, really nice kid. And, uh, and I think this is going to give him one of those, one of those things that he can do down there until, you know, he kind of gets his license or or whatever. I mean, there's, and there's more and more kids down there every day. There's more subdivisions going up, of course, but, uh, this is a great, a great place to do astronomy. It's where I kind of learned to do astronomy growing up. So I'm hoping to, uh, to maybe instigate that, but yeah, I could see this guy actually becoming an astronomer with his interest in very heavy interest in mathematics at such an early age is, is probably a good thing if you do want to become an astronomer, not like me. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Good stuff, Shane. All right. Well, thanks, Chris. Yeah. Thank you so much. I had a lot of fun with this one and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. All right. Bye.
1: Thank you everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you would like to ask us questions or leave feedback, you can find us on Twitter. We are at Actual Astronomy or you can email us. We are actualastronomy at gmail.com. And if you would like to support the podcast with a donation, uh, we are selling merchandise at teespring.com stores slash actual astronomy. We wish you all clear and dark skies.